0: Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would uh, cause us to understand what we're going to read and study today. Open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word, and may we understand the theme, and may we not uh, lose sight of, of what you're trying to do in this passage, even though there's, there's a lot of uh, minute details of, of a Roman trial that went on here. And so uh, may we see Jesus and, and in all the midst of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, today we'll be looking at Matthew 27, verses 11 to 26. This is the Roman trial of Jesus. Before we read the passage, let me just say this, because it's been a while since we've been in Matthew, so let me just kind of catch you up. What has happened is the Sanhedrin, which is the like the Jewish high council of the day, had falsely accused Jesus of blasphemy. And they believed, of course, the Old Testament said this as well, that If you were guilty of blasphemy, that meant you were guilty of death. And you you might ask, well, why did they believe that? It's because Jesus himself had said, I am the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And, of course, if you don't actually believe Jesus is the Son of God, then, of course, that is blasphemy, right? Well, they didn't have the authority to carry out the death penalty because they weren't actually the ones in charge. The Romans were. And so because they couldn't carry out that death penalty, the Jewish leaders were then forced to go and ask permission from the Romans. And in in this situation, there was a Roman governor ruling the area at the time, and of course his name was Pontius Pilate. And so in reporting this, this, uh, this trial, the Roman trial of Jesus, what Matthew's trying to do is he's exalting the king. Jesus Christ is the king. And and in this case, they, they what Matthew and the Holy Spirit wants you to see is a sinless, perfect, innocent king. And so, like the Jewish religious leaders, the Roman political leaders could find no fault in Jesus. Remember, they had they already had the Jewish trial. The, the Jews could find no fault in him, other than the fact Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be their Messiah, their King. So, even with all of their efforts, the courts of men here failed to produce a legitimate indictment against the perfect Son of God. So, you have to keep that in mind as you're reading all of this this court trial stuff going on here. The the record of Scripture is standing here for us, clearly shouting that Jesus is perfect. Jesus... Yes, he's going to be put to death. Yes, he's going to be executed and nailed on a cr- to a cross, but he is not going to die for his crimes. He's not going to die for his sin. He's dying for our sin, for mankind's sin. So it's it's, um, it's different than what some might think. So with that in mind, we want to look at Matthew twenty-seven verses eleven to twenty-six and. What Matthew's going to do here in this text, he's going to present four elements that are proving that Jesus is perfect. So there's four elements in this this Roman trial of Jesus that are really showing and and demonstrating the the innocence of Jesus. So here's my theme as, as we read. I just want to give you the theme ahead of time. As we read the text, here's the theme, I believe, that Jesus is perfect. Of course, the overall theme of Matthew, you know, Matthew being a Jew, writing to Jews, attempting to show that Jesus is king, He's he, then he's, he's focusing on a specific as, aspect of Jesus' kingship, is that he is the perfect, sinless, innocent king. So let's read, starting in verse 11. Matthew 27, verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, that's Pilate, By the way, that's remember there's this huge feast going on at this time. There's big festivals going on in Jerusalem. Pilgrims far and wide have come. So, So that's the feast it's referring to. So at that feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you? Barabbas, or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him. And here's what she said, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified! And they said, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified! So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged, Jesus delivered him to be crucified. So today we're going to see these four elements that are clearly showing Jesus' perfection as, as King, as Messiah. The first element demonstrating Christ's perfection here is the accusation of the Jewish religious leaders. Now here they're specifically called the Sanhedrin, or, and and the elders as well. So that was the, the Jewish High Council of the day. And so when the chief priests and the elders first brought Jesus to Pilate, it was still very early in the morning. And what I want to do today is bring in other portions of Scripture to kind of help us understand a little bit more what's going on here. So I've uh, I've put them up on the screen here for you. Now look what uh, the Apostle John says in in chapter 18, because he reports that they led Jesus from Caiaphas. It's on the screen. They led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early. So so somewhere maybe around 5 o'clock in the morning, it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium in order that they might not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. You understand they're being hypocrites here. And John's clearly showing their hypocrisy. They're keeping the Passover. Remember, there's this huge feast, festival going on. Uh, People far and wide, pilgrims from all over, even from Galilee, have come to celebrate in, in Jerusalem. But did you notice, according to John here, it says they didn't want to go into that praetorium, that place where the Romans ruled from there in Jerusalem, because they didn't want to be defiled Oh, but they're willing to kill Jesus, they're willing to murder Jesus, and they're going to keep doing their traditions. And so their wicked hypocrisy is seen in their false accusation against Jesus. But what are they doing while doing that? Well, they want to keep um, doing what the Bible says to do. So they're not willing to transgress Scripture in that sense, but they're willing to transgress scripture in other ways so that that's that's what a hypocrite is right uh, you you either don't do what you should be doing or you do what you shouldn't be doing and we see them doing that here don't we so it's likely that you imagine putting yourself in pilot's sandals he's probably a little upset uh, maybe even woken up early in the morning probably a little perturbed and disturbed at. uh uh these guys coming to him such an early hour but he has a greater concern you need to keep this in mind and, and history would would also tell us that his his concern here is is making these jewish leaders angry especially during this time when when some have said maybe 2 million people have have come into jerusalem for this festival this great religious festival So Jerusalem's just filled with all these pilgrims. And because they would not come into him, notice what John says again in chapter 18. It says, Pilate went out to them. Next one. Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? So, good question. By the way, as you read the Bible, you'll notice a lot of our The way we we handle things in our judicial system comes a lot from the Romans. And so that that question was, by the way, probably the, the first and only legal act in Jesus' whole trial. And so before Pilate would hear the case, what is he doing here? He's insisting, would you guys please bring me a formal indictment? Please present a formal accusation against this man. How am I supposed to know what to hear? So that's what Pilate's doing here. And so the Jewish leaders responded with arrogance and sarcasm. Uh, as we read in the next verse in John, uh, we see their self-righteousness in, in verse 30. Look at this. They said, If this man were an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. You can just see the sarcasm just dripping off their tongue, can't you? Hopefully you can see that. And in fact, what have they just done? They, they've rebuked the governor... For indirectly questioning their integrity. In other words, let me put it to you this way. It's like you imagine yourself. You know, how dare you question my honesty and my integrity? That's kind of what they're doing. It was not their intent for Pilate, of course, to give Jesus a fair hearing. They didn't want a fair hearing. All they wanted Pilate to do, all they wanted the Romans to do was kill Jesus. That's all they cared about. You know, just, just declare the death sentence and this this whole matter is going to be over. So in order to satisfy Pilate's demands for a specific charge, as well as to secure Jesus' conviction under Roman law, what do we see here? Well, the chief priest charged Jesus with being an insurrectionist. That's what they're doing. They're charging Jesus with being this revolutionary. Uh, I mean, you think about it. Had Jesus actually been guilty of being a revolutionary or an insurrectionist. Don't you think Pilate would have already heard about that? I mean, the, Pi- the Romans and Pilate, they didn't care about, you know, the Jewish religious stuff. They didn't really care that much about that. But they did care about somebody who would, who would rise up and try to become some sort of a political reader, leader. So Pilate would have known of it and certainly would have, have arrested and most likely executed Jesus if that was true. However, Jesus was a man in total submission to Roman authority. We see that over and over again. Jesus pays his taxes, right? Jesus was, he was the one who said, you know, if a Roman soldier comes to you and says, carry my pack for a mile, Jesus says, well, go ahead, submit. In fact, double that, carry it two miles, right? And so in response to the indictments, Pilate questioned Jesus and and he said, are you... That's what our text here in Matthew says. Are you the king of the Jews? Now, why would he ask that? Well, Pilate knew full well, of course, the charges were false. Uh, I can imagine Pilate didn't really like these guys. By the way, the Jewish religious leaders didn't really like Pilate. They didn't like the Romans. And so his question to Jesus was just, well, it's just tradition, just merely tradition. But did you notice Jesus' first response? Interesting response, isn't it? It it was a counter question. In fact, look what John, again, John 18 says on the screen here. uh, John says, are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Now, we don't have that in Matthew. And and notice in the next verse, Pilate's response is, am I not a Jew, am I? Or I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you up to me. What have you done? Well, how does Jesus respond to that? Well, the very next verse, John 18, 36, says, "...my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servant would be fighting. But I might not be delivered to the Jews, but as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm." Do you think Pilate really understood this conversation he's having with Jesus? I mean, he, th- th- that must have been really weird for that guy. He's he's an unbeliever. And he doesn't understand everything about the Bible and, and uh, what the Jews believed, and so that must have been really strange to him. And so it was perhaps at this point that Jesus said, It is as you say. That's what Matthew said. And so John goes on to, to say this about the, the nature of Jesus' kingship in verse 37. It says this, You say correctly that I am king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Again, imagine. Try to put yourself in Pilate's sandals here for a moment. Although he admitted to having no comprehension of what Jesus meant by the truth. Uh, Pilate, here's what he says it's on the screen. Pilate went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. So here we have the Romans, the Roman leader, the one who represents Caesar himself, saying, Jesus is perfect. Well, he didn't understand perfection really, but. He's at least saying that he's he's not guilty. Let's put it that way. So so what is Pilate doing? He's he's acquitting Jesus of any wrongdoing whatsoever. In other words, he's, he's basically let's say you come up before the the judge, right? I, hopefully this never happens to you, but imagine yourself going before a court here in New Zealand. You stand before the judge. The judge hears the 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 uh, the charges against you. And then, the, and then the judge just throws the case out of court, saying, there's just no evidence that you're guilty. This, this is a joke. And that's basically what, you know, Pilate's kind of like the judge here, and that's what happens. So not only were the charges false, but Pilate knew that the Jewish religious leaders themselves actually hated Rome. So he, he knew that. In fact, you say, well, how do we know that? Well, the Bible, if you look at verse 18... Matthew 27, verse 18, tells us Pilate knew. I mean, had Jesus actually been an insurrectionist, they would have supported Jesus, wouldn't they? But that's not the case, because verse 18 says, For he, that's Pilate, knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. See that, verse 18? Pilate knew these guys are envious against Jesus. You know, it's like Jesus is coming in on their territory, so to speak, and and in some ways he was, and they didn't like that. So all the religious leaders hated Jesus for for many reasons, but what Jesus was doing was undermining their religious influence with the people. He exposed their sinfulness as well. He he even called them hypocrites. Jesus knew. Uh, He exposed their doctrinal errors, and so... Jesus was becoming popular. Remember, it was just a few days before this that there was Palm Sunday and Jesus had, had come into Jerusalem and they're all hailing King Jesus. Uh, so, so they obviously knew there was something going on here. They didn't like that. And so Jesus taught truth, whereas of course they did not. Jesus healed. And of course they couldn't do that. Uh, and so their true motivation was obviously transport, transparent even to a pagan, a heathen, unbeliever like Pilate. But the council leaders here would not be put off. They're not going to be put off by Pilate's verdict of innocence. So they're they're going to keep pressing, and we're going to see them keep pressing until they get their way. And so all this failing effort just emphasizes again for us the perfect virtue of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So don't lose sight of that theme as we, we look at this, and as you read, Jesus is perfect he's innocent so he's not going to the cross because he's a sinner he's not going to the cross because of any crime he is going to the cross because this is god's plan so we see god's sovereignty in the midst of this too don't we well number two our second element that demonstrates the perfection of christ here was his own attitude in the midst of this joke of a trial so we we see um Jesus' attitude here in in verse 12 through 14, we notice that in verse 12, when he's accused by the chief priests and elders, what does Jesus do? The Bible says he gave no answer. In other words, he says nothing. And Pilate says to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge. And then we see Pilate's amazed by that. So Pilate knew the truth, and of course the Jews were opposed to the truth. The Jews had unjustly convicted Jesus. Pilate had unjust, or, or I should say, justly, excuse me, justly pardoned him. So there's there's a clash going on here. Jesus refused to say anything else. You might wonder, well, that's kind of strange, isn't it? I mean, mo- most people, if they're at a trial, like to speak up for themselves. They want they want to be defended right that's 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 our natural innate thing within inside us right If someone's charging you of something saying you're guilty you want to defend yourself A lot of times we want to defend ourselves even when we are guilty but Jesus is perfect here and it's interesting because it Jesus you know I, I don't know why exactly he did that but uh, what good would it have done anyway he doesn't he doesn't want to be pardoned. He knows his Father's will is to go to the cross. Wouldn't have done any good, probably. So Jesus' innocence was just so obvious, it demanded no defense on his part. It's just one of those things that even, even backs up his, his perfection here. So Pilate must have thought, hey, you know, wh- where is this insurrectionist, this revolutionary who opposes Rome? I'm not seeing it. That's what he's thinking. And so the man who stood before him here, of course, Jesus we see Jesus who is calm, he's completely at peace, he's not fighting, he's not even trying to defend himself. It's interesting that prophet Isaiah had actually predicted seven centuries before this in chapter 53. Here's what Isaiah says, look at the screen. It says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. Do you see how Jesus is fulfilling Bible prophecy by doing this? By keeping his mouth shut, by not responding to these accusations? And so Pilate not only was amazed, but he finds himself in a dilemma. It's it's like being between a rock and a hard place. That's where he exactly where he is. He he's actually convinced of Jesus' innocence, and he's 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 repulsed by the the envy and the deception and wickedness of these Jewish religious leaders, particularly the chief priests and elders, yet he didn't want to offend them. So do you see his problem? He's trying to keep the peace, and so because of his own position with Rome was actually in a in a bad state, um, which, by the way, was due to some mistakes that he had made earlier in his, his, uh, his reign as uh, governor of the region, um, he finds himself in a bad state, well, between him and Caesar. So what he, you can read about it in history. He previously made some mistakes regarding the Jewish religious convictions, and he had really ticked the Jews off. And so Caesar had actually rebuked Pilate for making those mistakes. And so Pilate's in a situation where my boss, who is Caesar, is going to come down on me really hard and may in fact even kill me if I make another big mistake. So that's that's where he finds himself. And so we learn from Luke that when Pilate heard the Jewish leaders say Jesus was stirring up the people, here's what Luke says. Uh, Luke says, oh, what's our in chapter 23? Chapter 23, it says, Starting from Galilee, even as far as this place, he asked if Jesus were a Galilean. When told that Jesus was indeed from that region, he felt certain he had found a solution to his dilemma. And so according to Luke 23, what Pilate does is he immediately sent Jesus to Herod Antip- Antipas. I think that's how you say it. There's lots of Herods. So this is Herod Antipas. And so uh, Pilate sends him off to Herod. And so when Jesus comes before Herod, we, we've got this kind of this second phase of the political trial. And I uh, want you to have a look why why Herod wanted to see Jesus in Luke chapter twenty three verse eight. It's on the screen. Here's what it says: Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus, for he had wanted to see him for a long time because he had been hearing about him. And was hoping to see some sign performed performed by him. Do so you see that? Luke Luke says Herod wants to see Jesus because Jesus can do amazing things. It's like going to see uh, you know some some so-called musician or magician, maybe today. You know, let's go see some signs performed. And Herod wants to see that. He wants to be entertained. Well, Jesus didn't want anything to do with that, and so. Because Herod was, was the, the guy who had beheaded John the Baptist, Jesus didn't go and visit uh, his capital city there in Galilee, and so the ruler had never actually seen Jesus. Jesus perfect, uh, purposely avoided Herod Antipas. So Herod desired to meet Jesus just because he's curious, probably. He's hoping to see this famous miracle worker perform for his private benefit. And so we read on in Luke chapter 23, and here's it's interesting what Herod does here, because the Bible says in Luke 23, verse 9, that Herod questioned him at some length, and Jesus answered him nothing, and the chief priests and the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently. So here again, we got these religious leaders just being obnoxious, aren't they? They just won't leave Jesus alone. Well, Luke does not mention what Herod asked Jesus about, we, we don't know that, but based on what is known of that that ruler Herod, his questions were probably superficial, weren't really meaningful. Therefore, Jesus had even less to say to that guy than he did to Pilate. And so he owed, by the way, he didn't owe Herod any explanation anyway. And, uh, so he moves on. So Herod uh, didn't get what he wants out of Jesus, so Herod sends... Jesus back to Pilate now it might be confusing as you read your Bibles there's actually two appearances before Pilate here and so Herod was probably well informed uh, of Jesus or if he, if he wasn't he could have and so although Herod did not actually declare Jesus not guilty uh, by, by what we see Herod doing here he's actually acknowledging again Jesus perfection that Jesus is innocent so again, we have another person backing up Jesus' perfections here. So Herod, what he does, though, is he mocks Jesus, he mistreats Jesus, but he could find no fault in him. The third element that demonstrated Christ's perfection is the hostility of the crowd. The hostility of the crowd. Let's, let's just have a look at this, because we see this in verses 15 through, through 23. Uh, I'm not going to take the time to read that to you again, but Pilate, uh, remember, Jesus comes back to, to Pilate again for the second time. Pilate could have ended the trial. He could have done it after the first time. He could have done it this time. But remember, his whole career is actually in jeopardy here. He could not directly defy the Jewish leaders without risking a riot. And I want you to see, Uh, what Pilate said to the people. It's actually Luke chapter 23 here. It's on the screen for you. Here's what Pilate said to the people. You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. No, nor has Herod. For he sent him back to us, and behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. So again, it's like Pilate just wants to drop the charges; he's declaring Jesus is not guilty. So, having failed in passing off the responsibility to Herod, he's uh, Pilate has failed to convince the Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' innocence. Pilate is is still scheming here. He's still trying to discover a way how he can get out of this difficult dilemma that he's in. Do you see his his problem here? He's in a he's he's really between a rock and a hard place. So, Pilate discovers another possible way that he can uh, avoid executing Jesus. He remembered that at the feast of Passover, there was a custom which Matthew twenty-seven talks about that uh, during the, the the feast of the Passover, uh, the the Roman ruler would release one prisoner whom the people wanted released. So remember, Matthew actually mentions his name here. So they they they're holding this notorious prisoner named Barabbas. And so Pilate probably expected the common people to actually release Jesus. That's my assumption, but they did not. We see the Jewish leaders um, actually chose. Barabbas. The crowd is worked up by these religious leaders and they end up choosing Barabbas. Now, little is known about Barabbas. The Bible doesn't say a whole lot about him. Uh, As far as we know, according to Luke chapter 23 and John 18, he was a robber, he was a murderer, and he was an insurrectionist. So he's against Rome. And so, according to Rome, when you're against them, that makes you worthy of death. So, As far as we know, the guy's probably an independent rogue who's just out fighting against Rome, probably, by the way, more for his own personal gain, probably stealing and making money off this. Uh, This this particular criminal named Barabbas was, of course, a great threat, not only to Rome, but he ends up being a a threat to Israel. And so because of the severity of his crimes, uh, as far as we know, he was scheduled to be executed, so some have, have uh, assumed that the cross that Jesus died on was probably meant for Barabbas. Because you remember, Jesus was between two other thieves. Robbers who were on next to Jesus. Jesus was in the middle. So it's probably a good assumption that the one in the middle was meant for Barabbas. So here we have this, this time period I need to mention here. The time period is probably 6 a.m., the place is in front of the Praetorium, where is that? That's the place where the Romans ruled from in Jerusalem. And so when the crowd gathered together, Pilate said to them here in our text, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? By the way, notice the text. Uh, very interesting. Pilate mentions that, that this Jesus who is called Christ. Uh, I mean, although Pilate despised the Jews, He had learned enough about their beliefs to know that they actually looked forward to a Messiah. This A Messiah was just a promised deliverer, and they called him Christ or Messiah. And he also knew, by the way, that many Jews had actually ascribed that title of Messiah or Christ to Jesus. And that's why we... Jesus' name is, by the way, Jesus, according to Matthew chapter 1. But Jesus also has a title, and his name is... or title is... Christ, And so that's why we often combine Jesus' names and His title together and we say Jesus Christ. So Pilate knew, of course, we already read that in verse 18, that they're just doing this out of envy to Jesus. The religious leaders had delivered Him up. And so what are they doing here? They're actually pitting uh, the people against those leaders. And so he's hoping to safely release Jesus by Somehow, if, if Pilate could work up the crowd in his favor here, that somehow the religious leaders would, would just leave Pilate alone. And so Pilate's debate was interrupted here, as the text says, when his wife sends a message to Pilate. Did you notice the message? It said, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly a dream because of him. That's interesting, because that, that isn't what normally happened. Uh, our text says that, that in verse nineteen that this happened while he 's sitting on the judgment seat the judgment seat was that place where the rulers of that time would rule and and they would bring uh forth their uh, it was their court if you will and they're acting as judge of the court and so uh Pilate is interrupted that 's extremely unusual uh, so it's a it 's a but that's what happens. It just shows you just how strongly Pilate's wife was influenced by this dream that God had given to her. So Pilate's problem is not made any easier by his wife's message, then, is it? Imagine, guys, your wife sending you a message. <laughs> Something like this. You know, it's it's not going to help you get out of the situation, is it? And so there's just pressure building and building. It's mounting upon Pilate. He, Uh, He wants to release Jesus. His wife is saying release Jesus. But not only only that, the other side is now the, the whole crowd in Jerusalem is getting worked up here. They want Jesus murdered. And so Pilate's finding himself caught in the middle. It's not a very nice place to be, is it? And so while the messenger was relaying the message from Pilate's wife, the chief priest, are going around and working up the crowd into a frenzy. And they're they're actually asking the crowd to say, Barabbas. Uh, Release Barabbas and put Jesus to death. Pilate said to the crowd in our text, our text says, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? Without hesitation, what does the crowd say? The crowd says, Barabbas. In other words, release the guy who's actually guilty, and kill the guy who's innocent and perfect. Doesn't make sense, does it? Well, because Jesus had been declared not guilty under Roman law, Pilate was then free to release him as well as Barabbas. However, he realizes, though, that the crowd was wanting uh, him to condemn Jesus, and so that's why he doesn't. So in a final effort to render justice, Pilate said to them, again in our text it says, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? So he's still trying to find a way out. But again, without hesitation, the crowd it says in verse 23, Let him be crucified! Eh, not good. They're demanding nothing less than Jesus' death. Which again, is, is our th- another element showing the perfection of Jesus Christ. So our theme is shown again that jesus is perfect he's innocent number four there's a fourth element which we haven't looked at yet that's found in verses 24 to 26 we see christ's perfection is seen as the crowd uh or i should say here as the as Pilate consents to the crowd so in verse 23 they're saying let jesus be crucified Pilate sees him as not guilty but did you notice what Pilate does Pilate finally realized yeah, this is just a total waste of time. It doesn't matter what amount of evidence I give, I'm never going to win this crowd over. And so he gave a public testimony that he he actually didn't agree with the crowd's decision, which is why he go in and, and he does this this ritual of washing his hands in water. Well, some might ask, well, why did Pilate let this happen? Well, number one. Pilate is just a, a puppet in God's scheme here. Now, he stands guilty and condemned for his sin, of course. Uh, but but God is sovereign in all of this, allowing his son to go to the cross. And so the answer, by the way, why is this happening, is he couldn't afford another Jewish riot. He'd already had those. He can't afford another one. The last riot had like I said, had brought severe disapproval from Caesar himself. And so just another uprising, particularly at the time of of the Passover, would just probably have done him in. And so the mob was just totally out of control, and so it's clear what is the only solution? The only solution is for Jesus to be executed. Therefore, Pilate says in our text, "...see to that yourself." See to that yourself. Interesting statement, isn't it? So he he when he gave them what they wanted, did you notice what the people did? The people actually gave Pilate what he wanted too. And so if he would permit Jesus' death, then what the what the people did, did you notice they're actually taking the blame on themselves here. The the Jews in fact in our text says <clears throat> uh, verse 25 all the people answered his blood be on us and on our children. So it's like they're absolving a pilot of, of any guilt and blame, and they're, they're actually taking the guilt on themselves. And by the way, that declaration certainly did not free Pilate of his guilt. Um, when he stands before King Jesus, he is guilty as charged. But it did proclaim the people's acknowledgement of their own guilt, didn't it? it, They're clearly guilty. And in fact, when Peter preaches at Pentecost, Peter backs that up and he says, you're guilty of killing Jesus. And so the multitude of of the Jews who stood outside the praetorium here made their verdict in behalf of all Israel. Uh, Most uh, theologians and Bible scholars would acknowledge that. And, And according to Romans chapter 11, we see that that uh uh that israel was was actually removed if you will uh, this verdict caused the branch of israel to to be broken off for a time from god's redemptive blessing but there is a time according to romans 11 though however saying that there is a time when when god says i will save all of my people and so it's no wonder that since that day as a nation and even as individuals Unredeemed Jews have been under the chastening hand of God. The Jews have had it pretty hard over these last several centuries, haven't they? I mean, just think about it. Since the time of Jesus, uh, is there is there another group that has had had more persecution and suffering than the Jews? I would struggle to think of one. I mean, it's just—it's almost like—I mean, it's not just the Germans, not just Hitler who was against the Jews, but uh, it's just relentless, isn't it? They've just been scattered all over the world, and people just continually go after them. Well, they asked for it, didn't they? It doesn't make it right when people do that, but they did ask for the, the blame to be put on them. Well, despite the accusations, it was not really Jesus who was on trial here. Have you thought about that? Who is really on trial? It's not Jesus. He's perfect who is on trial is really the rest of the world. Now, let me just throw out a few things for you to think about here for a moment. Okay, First of all, how about the Jewish religious leaders? Are they on trial? Well, maybe not technically, but practically, yeah, they're on trial here. The Jewish religious, religious leaders, they've actually condemned themselves as they're viciously demanding Jesus' crucifixion. What are they showing? They're showing their hypocrisy. They're showing their unbelief, their rejection against the king, the one who is perfect. What about the crowd? Are they on trial? Yep. (laughs) Yep, the crowd's on trial. And the crowd condemned themselves because they went along with their leaders. They didn't have to do that, but they did. What about Herod? What about Herod? Is he on trial? Yeah, he's on trial too because Herod condemned himself because he ended up mocking the king of kings. He did nothing to help Jesus. And, of course, Pilate, who thinks he's in charge, is not really in charge, and, of course, is on trial himself. And so Pilate condemns himself because he allowed an innocent man, a perfect man, to be condemned and executed. So, my friend, let me ask you. I consider you all my friends. What about you? What about you? Do you realize you also stand on trial? Maybe not officially, but Jesus is king. Jesus is perfect. He's innocent. He's never done wrong. He's never sinned. And so I ask you this question that's on the screen. Where do you stand with King Jesus? By the way, that's a continual state because it can change. It can fluctuate. It can even fluctuate within the same day, can it not? And the issue is, where do you stand with King Jesus? So my friend, no one can be neutral concerning Jesus Christ. You cannot be neutral. You're either against Him or you're for Him. You cannot sit on the fence. And you do not, do you know why that is? Do you know why it's impossible to be neutral concerning Jesus? It's because Jesus is the only perfect King. He is the only perfect king. And by the way, think about this. Pilate tried to be neutral. Pilate was not a follower of Jesus. Pilate was not for the crowd and for the Jewish religious leaders. He's trying to be neutral, so to speak. He only wanted to be neutral, but he failed miserably. He he wasn't able to be neutral. And in the end, what he ends up doing is he took his stand against Jesus, right? So by trying to be neutral, my friend, what you all actually end up doing is finding yourself against King Jesus. So will you... By the way, you will too, unless you decide for Jesus. Unless you keep deciding for Jesus, moment by moment throughout your life, keep deciding for Jesus, you're going to find yourself against Him. And since... Jesus is King, then what we need to say is, yes, Jesus, I acknowledge who you are, I believe who you are, that you are the perfect Son of God, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and I want to be your subject. And when you wake up in the morning and you get out of bed tomorrow, you're going to say, what you need to say is, "I am your subject. I submit my entire life and being, my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength, to you and to you alone. Stop being neutral. I, I seriously doubt any of us are against him. Otherwise you probably wouldn't be here, right? But sometimes we can be neutral. And we can kind of shut our try to shut our mouths and kind of just kind of blend into the crowd sometimes, but you can't do that, my friend. The only option is to bow before King Jesus. And the reality is, my friend, if you don't, if you don't continually bow before King Jesus, there will come a day. You're going to bow before Him because Philippians chapter 2 says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if you don't do it now, you're going to do it in judgment, and you will be in absolute terror. That's the only options. So Jesus wants us to love Him, obey Him, worship Him, and, and subject ourselves to Him now. So, would you believe, my friend? Here, here's my exhortation fully believe that King Jesus is perfect. He's innocent. He's gone to the cross. He has finished his Father's will, accomplished his work. And what did he do? He died. He paid the penalty for your sin. He conquered the power of sin. And one day, if you're a believer, you're going to stand before him and you're going to be made like him. And then. You know what's going to happen then? The presence of sin will be gone. He did that for you, for me. Not because I deserve it, not because you deserve it. (laughs) So the proper response is to bow before King Jesus, to love Him with all of our heart. May God give us the grace to do that.